Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa and Tales to Terrify. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 103. A quick note before we start. Our Lord and Master Tony C. Smith has launched a new podcast. It's entitled Your Remarkable Adventure, and it features interviews and insights with real-life explorers, adventurers, daredevils, and world travellers. Tony has recorded a promo for it, which we will play for you after the story. Which brings us to our amazing tale for this week, The Forest Lord by Serena Dori, a wonderful and surprising take on the green man of legend. By day, Serena is a public school art teacher, artist, belly dance performer and instructor, copy editor, fashion designer, event organiser and probably a few other things. By night, she writes... As you might imagine, this leaves little time for sleep. She is the author of award-winning YA paranormal romance novel Silent Moon. She sold about a hundred short stories to Daily Science Fiction, Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show, Cosmos, and Sword and Laser. Her steampunk romance series The Memory Thief and her collections Fairies, Robots and Unicorns, Oh My! and Ghosts, Werewolves and Zombies, Oh My! Are available on Amazon. You can find info about her writings and sign up for her newsletter, free downloads and book giveaways via the links in our show notes. Her story is read for us by Diana Sanchez. Diana is a voiceover talent and actress who has performed professionally for 14 years. She has voiced various commercials, industrials and characters and specialises in the sexy voice of powerful female roles. An avid fan of science fiction since her grandfather gave her a copy of Heinlein's Tunnel in the Sky when she was nine, Diana also consults in geographical information systems and develops custom mapping applications for real estate and other industries. Three-dimensional visualization of spatial data is a favorite pastime, and she has spent many hours translating real Earth elevation data into unique 3D worlds. And now, Serena Doris, The Forest Lord. The summer day I moved into my cabin in the woods, 
I knew something wasn't quite right. It started with the way the aspens and the alders scratched against the wood paneling of the house, sounding like words and swaying when there was no wind. During the process of unpacking, I set my glass of orange juice on the porch railing. It disappeared and later reappeared in the same spot, only empty. I couldn't shake the feeling of being watched when I walked along the long driveway to my mailbox. As I picked strawberries from the overgrown garden, I saw a figure move out of the corner of my eye, but no one was there when I looked up. I wanted to call my sister back in New York and tell her my house was haunted, but I knew she would laugh and probably remind me of the time she'd found my cell phone in my refrigerator last year. Silly Lily, she would call me, resurrecting my childhood nickname. The real estate agent had said the old woman who previously lived in the cabin had died of a heart attack. The house hadn't been on the market long enough to be included in Applegate's printed listing, so it had occurred fairly recently. I considered calling the real estate agent to ask if the house was haunted, but knew how ridiculous that would sound. Between unpacking, organizing my lesson plans for the new school where I would be teaching in a couple weeks, and going shopping, I had no time to dwell on these strange occurrences. I pretended everything was fine. At night, it was more difficult to deny everything was normal, with the wind whistling in the trees and creaking voices whispering into my dreams. My fifth night in the house, I woke to the sound of popping and cracking on the porch. Rising from my bed, I wrapped myself in my house coat and crept into the kitchen. Please be raccoon, I whispered under my breath. Please don't be ghosts. I peeked out the curtain in front of the sliding door, my jaw dropping at the sight of little stick men dancing on my porch. They were spindly and made of trees and leaves and stones, no larger than toddlers. Their twig feet scratched and clicked against the wooden boards of the porch. The percussion of their dance created a rhythm that wove into the harmony of frogs, crickets, and the wail of wind whipping through branches. I'd never been much of a dancer, but the primal sound of the music made me want to lift my arms above my head and stomp along with them. I caught myself swaying to their music, drawn into the trance-like beat. Only when I caught sight of the gleaming black eyes, the twisted, goblin-like expressions on their faces, did I start. I shivered and I closed the curtains, washing my face with cold water in the bathroom. Only the sound of crickets and frogs remained. Maybe I had been dreaming about the music and dance. I crept back to the door and paused, holding my breath as I peered around the edge of the curtain. They stood just beyond the porch now, barely visible. They hung their heads like disobedient children who'd been caught with their hands in the cookie jar. Standing over them was an immense shadow. I squinted into the darkness, making out the shape of a tall man. As the boughs of the trees danced in the wind, the moonlight shifted. I could only see twisted branches and gnarled limbs. A male voice spoke. It was cool and even, a dark, syrupy velvet that made my skin tingle. You can't go dancing on Ethel's porch in the middle of the night. It will anger her. You know how humans are. Ethel Shea had been the previous owner. 
answer came in clicks and pops. I could make out words here and there. Something about wise woman and chose us and you can eat splinters, but I wasn't sure if it was my imagination. I was now convinced my house was haunted, not by ghosts, but by weird little tree goblins. I was afraid to eat dinner at the plastic table outside after dark, too disturbed to keep my windows open at night to let the breeze in, or even walk alone in the woods to cool my feet in the stream. I constantly felt as though those things were watching me, shifting in the shadows of the trees around me. When I walked down the driveway to the mailbox, the branches shifted in a wind I couldn't feel, and twigs stretched out toward me and tangled in my pink hair. This was my home, and I'd moved here to be at peace with nature and inspire myself to create art again, not to mention it was the only affordable house in the area. It crossed my mind that I could return to New York City and live with my sister for a few months, substitute for my previous school district, and spend another two years shut away in an apartment so I wouldn't be reminded of my ex-husband everywhere I went. Each day, I remembered Mark's commentary on graffiti art I passed in the subway. I reminisced about the times we'd walked in Central Park and shared our dreams of starting a family together. Or I thought of the lost child we'd found at Coney Island, who we'd helped find her parents. I was plagued by our togetherness everywhere I went. No, I would not go back to New York. I considered selling the cabin and renting an apartment. Then anger rose up inside me. This was my house. Nature spirits had no right to come here and haunt me. I owned a Prius and recycled. I read New Age books on cleansing homes of spirits. First I smudged sage around my house, trying to project feelings of peace and protection. I also drew a circle around the perimeter with a can of salt— when those didn't work, I drove 20 miles to a Catholic church to ask them if I could buy holy water. The priest looked amused, but then that might have been my pink hair. These tactics had the opposite effect I'd hoped for. Twigs rattled against my window panes all night. The wind sounded like laughter. I found leaves and branches scattered on my porch along with a dead rat, Outside my front door was a giant spider web with a big, hairy spider on it. I had no idea how it had survived the wind the night before. Worst of all, I discovered all the clothes on my clothesline were missing. School started in four days, and I desperately needed to get some sleep. Feeling crabby, and as a result especially bold, I marched up to the edge of the trees in my pajamas and used my best teacher voice. <clears throat> Excuse me, tree people. I am your new neighbor, Lily Bates. I plan on living in this cabin, and I'm not going to put up with any of this nonsense. Ugh, sounded like I was a 90-year-old school teacher. I am staying, so the logical thing would be for you and I to come to some sort of agreement about not haunting me, and we can both live in peace. And I want my clothes back. I waited for the velvety voice of the forest man to come forward and apologize, but the woods were silent, except for the chirping birds and the distant babble of the stream. 
Maybe I was being silly, talking to the trees and expecting an answer. I turned to go back. A raspy, crackly voice called out from behind me, Eat splinters! The sharp smack of a spindly branch whacked across my behind. I spun around. There was a low groan of wood that may have been a laugh. That wasn't funny, I said. Where are you? I know you're out there. No one answered. The tappity-tap of rain and twigs against the window pane woke me from misty dreams. Let me in, said a deep voice from outside. It was a musical voice, one that walked on wind and silky wisps of dreams. The bright blue of lightning flashed, thunder rumbling seconds later. I snuggled into my flower-print comforter, ignoring the staccato on my window pane, wanting to sink back into that dream of the lulling voice. Please, the voice said again, louder, more urgent. Open the door. I rubbed my eyes, realizing this was no dream. The shadow cast on my curtains was a man's. I sat up. The figure shifted, twigs dancing over my window and across the side of my house, playing against the windows of my soon-to-be art studio, and then on the glass door of the kitchen. I rose, my heart thundering as I stumbled over my nightgown and into a box of unpacked books I'd left on the middle of the floor. I crawled to my purse, where I fumbled for my cell phone, ready to call the police if some psycho was out there with an axe. The house was on five acres of forest that neighbored protected Bureau of Land Management, or Bureau of Land Manglement, as I sometimes called it. I was a bit off the path. Not that it didn't mean some crazy camper couldn't have wandered through the woods on my property. That was a logical explanation, even though I was scared shitless it was the illogical one, the tree goblins. In a spurt of courage, I threw back the curtain. The man was a dark shadow, wild hair poking stiffly in different directions, the silhouette of a muscled frame barely visible. It was too dark to tell if he was wearing pants, but from the contours of his muscled chest and arms, I knew he was shirtless. Great, a psycho. Who else would be out in the rain without a shirt? He raised a hand, holding up a dark shape that I hoped wasn't a weapon. I jumped back, clutching the curtain and pulling half of it from the rod. Lightning flashed, bathing one side of his face and body in a blue light. For a second, I saw what I expected. A man's chiseled jaw and sharp cheekbones, black eyes and smooth skin. As the light flickered, so did his face. His skin no longer looked human. Instead, it was made up of a spidery web of twigs and moss, woven layers of lichen and twisting vines. His chest and arms were a mixture of brambles and forest floor, sleeping buds of flowers twisting across his skin. Spiky twigs and what may have been dreadlocks jutted out from his scalp. He was simultaneously frightening and beautiful to behold. He held up a bouquet of flowers. His pleading eyes changed from mournful to surprise, widening at the sight of me. My throat felt tight, and my heart felt as though it had stopped, like I was suddenly wrapped up in a spell. My hands and arms chilled. With a start, I realized I was pressed against the glass, leaning toward him. 
his full lips parted, a sound like creaking wood escaping. His deep sing-song voice became lost in the roar of thunder, but I thought I made out two words. Where's Ethel? Startled, I dropped my phone and flipped on the porch light next to the door. Nothing. No one was there. I blinked a few times to be certain. I checked to make sure all the doors were locked and slept with the nightlight on in the bathroom like I was eight years old. There was no way I was going back to sleep after that. I made myself coffee, my eyes still seeing his face. A handsome human man, his features disappearing into rich layers of tree and forest. As I unpacked art supplies and organized my lessons for work, he lingered in my thoughts. Hours later, after the sun had rose and I'd dressed, I came to the box with my sketch pad and pens. I tucked them under my arm and went outside, wiping off a plastic lawn chair. I skipped past the portraits I'd drawn in New York, ignoring the sections of Mark. On a pristine, white page, I sketched faces made of twisting vines and twigs. In the warmth of the sunny day, the idea of phantom tree people wasn't as scary. None of the sketches quite captured the tree man. I should have used pencil so I could have erased, but I wanted the fluidity and contrast of pen. The fact was, I was out of practice. I'd hardly touched this sketch pad since two years ago, before my last gallery show in New York. I remembered how alone I'd felt in the crowd of people. It was the first time Mark, my husband and manager, hadn't been at my side. Some of the sketches of the forest man reflected that look of disappointment in his eyes. Others almost caught the way his lips had parted as we'd spoken. There were moments his face became someone else's. The pained features of a child who'd scraped his knee on the playground. My father's weary expression the night he'd left my mother. My ex-husband's empty eyes when he'd taken me to the hospital after the doctors had discovered cancer of the uterus. Chills whispered into my bones when I remembered how the green man had called for me to let him in. Yet there had been that expression on his face when he'd seen me, a familiar visage of disappointment I seemed to inspire in men. I closed my eyes, remembering Mark's face when the doctor had told us I would never be able to have children. It was an expression that had remained etched into his features until the night he told me he wanted a divorce. <laughs> Only then had his expression lightened. The pit of my stomach sank into a cold knot at the recollection. I didn't know which possibility was worse, tree spirits haunting me or my subconscious mind expressing my innermost fears in the form of visions. I woke to a hard rapping against my window, too urgent to ignore. The forest man stood there in the moonlight, shimmering in and out of his human skin. One moment he was covered with bronze flesh. The next he became a patchwork of leaves woven around twigs. His face was indescribably beautiful, more so than I'd last remembered. Even flashing in and out of humanness, with the sharp edges of bark defining masculine contours, 
He was so alluring I wanted to draw him. My stomach fluttered as I gazed at him. His black eyes weren't sad tonight. They looked bright and alive, his expression angry. May I have a word with you? he said through the pane of glass. I half nodded, half flinched. He crossed his arms and waited. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to say something. I am not going to talk to you through a closed window, he said. Go to your porch. When I pulled back the curtain in front of the glass door, he was waiting. I opened the glass door a crack. The screen door was locked, but he could break through it easily if he chose. Not that I expected a pane of glass would stop some kind of magical being either. I am the forest lord, your neighbor. It has escaped my attention that we had a guest in Ethel's home. His deep voice inflected higher and almost questioned. I have been informed about your speech in the forest regarding getting along. Since you obviously are aware of our presence, I've decided there are matters we need to discuss. He held up a plastic bottle. I found this in the stream. <clears throat> he coughed and looked at me like he thought it was my fault. I blinked. This seemed too unreal. It's not mine. No, but you walked past it and kicked it out of the path instead of picking it up. He dropped it onto the porch, holding up a book of matches next. You left these on the railing after your smudging the other day, and they blew into my trees. Do you know how dangerous that is? Um, sorry, I said, unable to think of something better to say. I watched the surface of his skin change from flesh to twigs, undulating in random patches, shifting and fading. The only part that stayed solid was his waist and legs. Then I noticed he wore a pair of jeans that were obviously too small for him. My jeans! I opened the door a little wider, trying to keep my calm, authoritative self in check and not be lost in the mesmerizing patterns of his foliage. If we are going to be neighbors, there are a few things we need to get straight. You will not steal my clothes or keep me up all night scratching at my windows. A smile twitched at his lips. Would you rather I showed up naked next time? I ignored his snide remark, quite used to dealing with delinquent teenagers who were far worse. And I don't want any more spiders or dead rats outside my doors. A chorus of creaks and groans sounded in the trees all around us. I wasn't quite sure, but I suspected the other creatures out there were laughing. The forest man held up his hand, the sounds immediately silencing. I shall tell my subjects they must behave, but if the tree sprites occasionally cross the line, you can't use that as an excuse to litter or be reckless. I know how you humans are. You use anything as a reason to chop down trees or set fire to the forest. The human mirage or flesh flickered more rapidly, pulsing like a heartbeat. I forced myself to concentrate. This is my new home. Do you really think I'd want to start a forest fire? Is that what Ethel would threaten? His face became more flesh-like and human, his countenance defined in pain before disappearing into the cross-hatching of twigs again. Do you know Ethel? 
His voice cracked on her name. Where is she? Did the Shea family take her in? He leaned closer. I jumped back. I was told she died of a heart attack. Horror flickered across his visage. I didn't know she had. I I thought she was just mad at me, and I was afraid she might have moved. I was curious now. Why do you think she was mad at you? He sounded sulky, almost childlike now. She complained about me getting leaves on the carpet and that the wood sprites had stolen all her honey. She told me she was going to quit being our wise woman and move in with one of the shays. I thought she was joking, but when she stopped walking in the forest, I was afraid she hadn't been. And now... His voice cracked. You didn't get to say goodbye. I unlocked the screen door and slid it open. Automatically, I reached out toward him, but he shifted away. He held himself tall again. Death is part of the cycle of life. My kind understand these matters. His voice was stiff, like he'd said this a million times before, but didn't believe it. We will not trouble you any more. He backed away into the trees, melting into his surroundings. My missing clothes arrived on the porch the next day. They were full of splinters. The tree sprites didn't trouble me after that, but it would be a lie to say I didn't notice them. I still felt them watching me when I went for walks in the woods. I made sure to keep a trash bag in my pocket in case I saw litter that had blown in. A couple times I took my pens and sketch pad out there, rendering the way the light fell on the trees, catching the faces I thought I saw staring at me from tangles of brush. I attempted to paint the memory of the forest lord on my porch in my jeans, half man and half plant, sorrow swimming in his eyes. It didn't capture his pained expression, but that's how it was painting from memory. He hadn't exactly offered to pose for me. It was just before sunset one evening, as I walked by the stream, that I heard a distant crackle of voice say, We should kidnap her. I froze, immediately knowing that by her they meant me. What those tree goblins intended to do with me after they caught me, I didn't know. I tiptoed toward the cabin, wondering if my nature walks weren't such a great idea after all. The forest lord's voice rang loud and clear, though I could tell it came from a distance away. You will leave that human alone. I've given her my word. My stomach flip-flop at the sound of his voice. I couldn't help feeling awed by his presence and simultaneously intimidated by his cool aloofness. When I thought about his majestic figure intertwined with rustic earthiness, my breath quickened. My feet left the path, lured to the musical quality of his voice. I wanted to gaze upon him so I could try painting him again, I told myself. That was all. It wasn't an enchantment. A chorus of crackles and pops echoed from my left. I scanned the dense foliage around me, knowing it would be more difficult to spot them in their natural camouflage as opposed to on my porch like before. The forest lord's voice sounded less regal and more annoyed now. She has work, he said. She's not like Ethel. 
and she even tired of the responsibility. I caught sight of movement through the trees and snuck toward them again. How do you know if you don't ask her? A more feminine crackling asked. I don't want her for our wise woman, he said firmly. She isn't mature enough and she isn't wise enough. I felt simultaneously relieved and insulted. Sure, I didn't want to be kidnapped, but I didn't like being insulted either. I padded over mossy patches of earth off the path, trying to catch sight of them. A scratchy voice whispered, Have you seen her trying to paint our portraits? She's curious about us. We're growing on her. She might grow on you as well. She wants to capture you, make you her little pet, the forest lord said. She set out a saucer of cream the other day. What does she think we are, kittens? Note to self, no more cream. As I peeked around the tree, I caught sight of him speaking with two others, a man and woman twig person. It was the first time I'd seen him in the daylight, his human skin less opaque, more forest than flesh. Still, I could tell it was him from the way he held himself tall and proud. We need a wise woman, the tree woman said. We need someone to serve between our world and hers, to make sure humans don't destroy this forest, to keep our secrets and knowledge, heal other humans, and... Times have changed. Humans don't need us, and we don't need them. They have their prescription medicines and pump their pollutants into our rivers. He paused, his tone laced with irritation. Besides, she wouldn't be right for the title. She isn't natural. I can't place what it is exactly. She's empty inside. I touched a hand to my belly. All the curiosity and wonder I'd felt up to that moment shriveled up at those words. As if an ex-husband who left me for someone else he could have children with wasn't bad enough. My barrenness even repulsed this inhuman creature. I took in a shuddering breath. The forest lord turned and met my gaze. The sprites he spoke with exploded. Each bit of leaf, twig, and moss scattered in different directions, blending into the forest around them. He held his ground, a leafy eyebrow raised. I had a feeling he'd known I'd been eavesdropping. Slowly he faded into his surroundings. Even still, I felt him watching. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Later that week, I went out to the porch after dinner and sat down on my plastic chair with my tea, like I did every night after dinner. Only tonight, it was different. He stood there in my garden, watching me like a scarecrow. The setting sun glowed on bits of the earthy bark that was his skin. He wore no clothes. He was more tree this time, less human like the other day when I'd seen him in the forest. I forced myself to look away from admiring the grandeur of his beauty. His words still stung. If you fetch me a pair of clothes, I will put them on, he said. My face scrunched up in spite of myself. Why would you do that? It seemed the most unnatural thing for a nature spirit to do. Ethel informed me my nakedness offended her eyes. The branches of the birch tree next to the house scraped together in such a way I could understand words being spoken. And she didn't want to get any splinters. The leaves fluttered together, making a distant cackle. The forest lord ignored the remark. Yes, well, I am not Ethel. I set aside my tea. You must be here for a reason. Did I not pick up enough trash on my walk this morning? May I sit? he asked. I gestured at one of the lawn chairs. He climbed up the porch steps, eyed the other plastic chair, and sat on the wood railing. Patches of his human self washed over his tree features in waves, the smooth flesh illuminated in the moonlight. He was still silent, looking like he was struggling with something. His smooth voice was formal and cool. I apologize for my words the other day. The silence that stretched between us was excruciating. I thought of what he had said about me in the forest. I blurted out, That emptiness you sense in me, it's because I had cancer, isn't it? You dislike me because I'm barren, because I can't have children. You're a god of growth and fertility, so I must represent the opposite of your world. I represent death. My eyes filled with tears. I quickly blinked them away. He grimaced, the lines of twig and leaves just as expressive as any man's. I'm not a god, just lord of this forest. 
It isn't personal, the reason I don't want you as our liaison. You just aren't Ethel. Morbid curiosity had driven me to find out everything I could about Ethel, who she was, who her family had been, where she was buried. Some of the teachers at school had called her a medicine woman. Others called her a witch. Even the students knew who she was, though I would normally have waved off the tails of a little old lady riding on a grizzly bear's back to get to a sick child's house in the snow as an exaggeration. I had a suspicion that it just might be true. Ethel's shoes would be difficult for anyone to fill, let alone some New York City slicker like me. And yet, I was intrigued by the idea of being a liaison to the forest. Surely they didn't have candidates lining up for the job. The glum expression on the forest lord's face reminded me of how he'd confessed he hadn't been able to say goodbye to her. I understood what it was to love someone even after they were gone. Even now, after the divorce, after leaving New York, I sometimes wondered if I had ever let Mark go. Maybe you should go to her grave so you can resolve things. How? Where is she? She's in the local cemetery. My heart thudded faster in my chest. I could drive you there. He held his nose up in the air. I don't like your mechanical carriages. I can walk everywhere I need to go in the forest. I don't want to take you to somewhere in the forest. The cemetery is across town. I expected him to stalk off, but he didn't. He silently followed me to my car. He eyed the plastic garbage bags lining the passenger seat. I'd wrapped them up earlier in the week, hoping he might allow me to take him to the cemetery. I didn't know if he was going to leak tree sap or get splinters on the seat. He raised an eyebrow. I tried to cover everything that might be iron, I said, pointing to the napkins I'd taped to the interior door handle and the towels over the metal bits on the floor. Iron isn't my weakness. It's plastic we don't like, he said. My subjects don't mind sage or salt when you circle it around your house. They're afraid of the plastic leaking chemicals, the, what do you humans call it? Positive ions from your computer, the pesticides and herbicides in your food and garbage. So much for fairy lore. I quickly uncovered the seeds and replaced the bags with the towels. We left when it was dark enough so that I didn't have to worry about people ogling. I drove through Applegate and into Jacksonville where the cemetery was. He stared out the window, the silk in his voice drawing my eyes away from the road. Why did you move out here from the city? I shrugged. I like nature, and I guess I wanted to get away from people. Kind of dumb when you think about it, to be a teacher, dealing with people all day. Children don't count as people. They're more like us, he winked at me. It's the parents you have to watch out for. I laughed. Are you sure you didn't come here to run away from something, Lily? Someone? It made me shiver to hear him say my name, making this moment somehow more real. I pulled into the driveway of the cemetery and stopped the car at the gate. 
The rusty metal doors were chained together. We managed to open the doors enough to squeeze through. I led him up to her grave, his footsteps oddly silent in the wake of my crunch crunching over brittle leaves. She would rather have been buried on her land, he said. This place reeks of fertilizer and formaldehyde. It's almost as bad as all the plastic in your house. I bet you can't even smell the fumes that come from your microwave when you put your dishes in it. You've got a lot to learn if you think you're going to be as wise as Ethel someday. I bit my lip, forcing myself to remember he was like a wild, feral dog in pain, biting anyone near him, even if that person was trying to help him. Whatever you say, your grouchiness. He ignored the comment. When we came to the grave, he stared at the tombstone in silence. You loved her? I asked. She was your consort? Of course, I loved her. I still do. It's hard not to fall in love with a wise woman. After a moment, he added, but she wasn't my consort. She only took on the duty of being a liaison. She'd never loved me as I loved her. I remembered reading tales in my youth of beautiful fairies driving humans mad with pining. Looking over his sculpted figure, whether it flickered into a man or plant being, it was hard to imagine he was the one whose heart had been broken. He kneeled on top of her grave. Flowers sprouted around his feet, vines braiding over the tombstone. He kneeled in silence, his breathing deep and labored. I suspected he wanted to cry, but couldn't with me watching. I left him, weaving through moonlit tombstones to give him space. I sketched him as he kneeled there, his hand outstretched to stroke her headstone, small trees sprouting around him and bending toward each other to make an earthy shrine. It would make a nice painting to go along with the others I'd been working on, him standing on my porch in jeans, the one of him bathed in lightning on a stormy night, an imagined scene at a fairy ball, the forest lord sitting aloof and solitary on his throne while his subjects danced and sang. He was silent during the ride back, not with dreary gloom, but with the calm of closure about him. When he got out of the car, his expression was lighter, freer, like how you'd imagine a wood sprite should look. Thank you, he said. That was a wise thing to suggest. I crossed my arms. Can a woman be wise, even if she isn't mature? Even if she isn't capable of having children? He stepped in closer, holding a hand in front of my face. His flesh flickered in between the human facade and his leaf and twig body. I froze in anticipation. Do you see this leaf? If I lose it, will I be less me? Am I really the sum of these parts? Are you your womb and nothing more? I frowned. I'd certainly felt like I was everything I'd lost. I was no longer a wife and no longer capable of being a mother. My previous identity had been torn away along with my uterus. 
As his words sank in, I saw how I'd been hanging on to those pieces of what I once was. Perhaps my own grief wasn't so much about losing Mark, but about losing myself. This realization lifted my spirits. For the first time since I'd been diagnosed with cancer, I felt like I could be more. I felt like I could someday become a wise woman. He walked to the edge of the trees, turning back to me. What are you doing tomorrow? I want to teach you how to compost. Not exactly my idea of a reward, but it was better than nothing. So, can't you just use magic to make all these weeds go away? I asked him as I pulled up another sprout with my gloved hand and tossed it into the compost pile past the pumpkins. I wondered why a mystical forest lord would deign to teach me composting, organic gardening, and herbal remedies, especially since he so passionately asserted what an inappropriate choice I would make as a wise woman. I wanted to believe it was because he saw potential in me. Over the last few weeks, as we worked in my overgrown garden side by side, I couldn't help thinking how fantastical all this seemed. When I snuck peeks at the golden leaves intertwined and twisting branches and tufts of moss, I found myself filled with awe. I yearned to ask him if he thought I might become his forest wise woman someday. His wise woman. I also feared the withering look he might bestow upon me should I ask. Today, I told myself, would be the day I would ask him. Of course, I'd been telling myself that for over a week. He shook his head at me. That was stray echinacea, not a weed. And yes, I can kill as easily as I create. Yet, that wouldn't benefit you in the long run. But you can create life? I realized my hands pressed against my barren womb. Quickly, I pulled them away. There are limits to what I can do. He turned his gaze to the row I'd been weeding. I can't create something out of nothing. There are places there used to be forest where my magic works no longer. Dead places. I wondered if I was one of those dead places. Dirt caked my boots, making my feet heavy as I trudged over to the compost pile and brought back the medicinal plant. The sun, sinking closer to the horizon, glowed orange in the sky. A splash of golden light fell on the wrinkled pattern of lichen amidst liverwort and twining tendrils of ferns in his chest. Even if I hadn't already loved earth tones in the natural world, I would have appreciated the strange beauty in his form. My hands itched to draw him. I sighed. Am I working you too hard? Do you need a break? He asked, misreading my contentment for fatigue. No, I'm fine. I can keep working. I replaced the echinacea in a soft patch of dirt, though closer to the other herbs than it had been before. Kneeling beside me, he helped me pack dirt around it, his fingers brushing against mine, sending a thrill through me. He squinted into the light of the sun, his face wavering between human flesh and plant person. I've kept you from your supper. I'll leave you until tomorrow afternoon. He bowed his head as he always did before he returned to the forest. My words came out in a rush. You don't have to go. 
Do you want some tea or something? Hot water with maple syrup, he said. I went into the cabin, wondering if that was a normal beverage for tree people. As I filled up the mug with hot water from the tap, his feet scraped against the wood patio outside the door. He called through the screen, Do you have filtered water? I dumped out the water, but before I could fill the cup using the pitcher from the fridge, he asked, You aren't going to heat that up in the microwave, are you? You have a tea kettle, don't you? I couldn't help smiling. He was pickier than my mother. After I found the tea kettle in the back of the cupboard, I filled it and set it to boil. On the counter nearby, I spied my sketch pad. As quietly as I could, I picked it up and turned to a fresh page. Charcoal in hand, I craned my neck to spy him out the kitchen window. I didn't see him. That fluttery feeling in my chest sank. Had he left? I shuffled over to the door, hugging my sketch pad to my chest as I peeked around the doorframe. He wasn't on the porch or in the garden. I groaned. So much for speaking with him. My foot crinkled over a dead leaf on the carpet. What are you doing? he asked. I whirled, dropping my sketch pad in the process. A amused smile on his face, he picked it up. I hadn't heard the door open. His gaze lingered on the page the book had opened to. It was a drawing of him, sitting on my patio, looking very much like he had today. Only, instead of painting him completely tree in nature, I'd overlaid a few patches of human flesh, one over his left eye, another over his right cheek, another on his bare arm, trying to make him look less skeletal. It was better than the first version, but I knew it wasn't quite him. He turned to the next page. His expression was somber, his visage of tangled twigs difficult to read. You enjoy drawing nature? I nodded. I've always loved drawing trees, and now tree people. <laughs> Call it my way of sharing what I see with the world. I mean, if that's okay. I tugged at the hem of my Dirk Street t-shirt. I would really like to paint again, to have a solo exhibit in a gallery, with you and your subjects as my models. I hadn't thought about showing my work in years. I hadn't felt like I'd had anything worth sharing until now. Sharing what you see. Yes, I suppose that is your gift. They all have a way of passing their wisdom on to others. He trailed a finger over the page. I burned to ask him who they were. The wise women? And that's how you see me? He asked. Isn't that how everyone sees you? Or are you saying I didn't... I struggle for a word other than capture, as he didn't like the connotation. Imitate your likeness? The humans I've allowed to look upon me see the forest. Their minds fill in the rest, making me more human, more approachable. I suspect I looked like a ninety-year-old man in Ethel's eyes, a child with shimmering wings to her grandmother, a great female shaman in chief running elk's eyes. He pointed to the side of the face in the portrait, his eyes full of mischief. You aren't finished. You missed a leaf. 
I playfully smacked his arm, noticing how real he felt. How am I supposed to get those little details when you've never posed for me? I was working from memory. Besides, you're always changing and shifting. That leaf will be gone in a few days. I'm surprised you've never asked me to model for you, he said. Would you? He winked at me. I might be convinced to stay still long enough for a portrait. He handed me my sketch pad and crossed over into the kitchen. Can I help you do something in here? I was going to make tea. I scooted past him in the small space, opening a cupboard where I kept mugs. I hesitated, eyeing the unnaturally bright cups, wondering which one he'd be willing to use. He reached around me, standing so close leaves crinkled as they brushed against my shoulder. My heart sped up. I would swear I felt heat roll off his body, though I suspected such a thing was impossible. He closed the cupboard and opened one on the other side of me. From the highest shelf, he selected two brown ceramic cups I hadn't even known were there. As he rinsed the dust off, I realized they were a handmade set, probably thrown on a wheel. The earth tones of the glaze matched his colors. It was strange, being in such a small space with this otherworldly creature. I inched back a little, fighting the urge to run my fingers over his mossy shoulder. He reached under one of my cupboards, finding the maple syrup more expertly than I would have. I noticed the syrup was only half full, slightly suspicious since I had bought it two weeks ago and hadn't made any pancakes yet. I watched, not sure whether to be insulted or flabbergasted, that he knew his way around my kitchen better than I did. I raised an eyebrow. I had a feeling it wasn't Twigman coming here and drinking all the maple. I wasn't stealing. I was just borrowing from a good neighbor. The corners of my lips tugged up into a smile. I suppose that was a compliment. Suddenly overcome by shyness, I found I couldn't meet his eyes. The boiling of water bubbled in the kettle. It hadn't started to whistle yet, but the forest lord stepped toward it anyways. I snatched up a potholder and batted his hand away. Really? Isn't it bad for you to be near flames? You might catch fire. I splashed water into each of the cups, the aroma of maple wafting up into the air. You sound like a protector of the forest. He plunked a chamomile tea bag into mine, proving he knew yet another intimate detail of my life. I gave a nervous giggle. Oh, do I? He placed a hand on mine, fingers smoothing over my hand. I turned to face him, craning my neck to stare up into his eyes. His expression was thoughtful. I cleared my throat. <clears throat> Can I? I mean, should I? Um, I know you said before that I wasn't wise enough to be a wise woman. And you said... He held up a hand to stop me. About what I said before. I want to apologize. You are learning to be wise. Still, you're young to be a wise woman. Much younger than Ethel when she started. Well, how old are you? He only looked to be about thirty, but I already knew appearances weren't accurate. 
He lifted his chin, a smug smile adorning his lips. I'm ageless. What does that mean? You don't age? His human skin flickered and the twigs and moss flashed into view again. He pointed to a section of lichen. This is three years old. He ran his twiggy fingers over a crust of leaves at his shoulder. These are from last fall. He rolled up the hem of the jeans, exposing vines and toadstools growing on a limb of tree. This branch is over sixty years old, and this bit of bone from a deer is three hundred. I am the forest, always changing, losing, and gaining endlessly. I'm not limited by your mortal confines of age. I kind of understood. Okay, so your body is ageless, but how old is your soul? He stared past me, out the window at the trees. From his silence, I didn't expect him to answer, but when he did, his eyes looked broken, lost. I can't remember. Older than this forest. Can you see why I think you're a child? Your soul is the same age as your mortal body. I crossed my arms, feeling awkward with him standing so close. My guess is you don't buy into reincarnation, then. Reincarnation? I think you mean soul recycling. It's not any different than a decaying leaf becoming nutrients for a tree and part of something greater. It isn't what it formerly was. It comes back as something new. I looked at him quizzically. Like compost? He let out a deep, throaty laugh. <laughs> yes, you understand. He took my hand in his again, stroking his thumb across my knuckles. You are still so young and have much to learn, and so much to live for. I can't imagine you would want to waste away your years serving the forest like a... What do you call one of those women who never marry? An eccentric artist? He shook his head, a smile on his face. A nun. When you say nun... You mean the wise woman are married to the forest, not you. Heat flushed to my face. I mean, I thought they were your consorts or, um... He kissed the palm of my hand, the rough texture of bark oddly absent. Soft lips met my skin instead. Shivers tickled up my arm. Maybe none isn't the right term. I ran my fingers across his naked chest, uncertain I was feeling flesh or twigs. He squeezed my hand, his eyes turning melancholy. You do realize I can't give you what a human mate could give you. I could never be a husband who could accompany you into the town or to your art exhibits. I would never be able to stay in this house with all the plastic and chemicals for an entire night. I can't give you children. I sighed. No one can give me children. That isn't really an issue. You'll grow vexed with me for shedding leaves on your carpet. 
You'll resent me filling your time with learning of matters that humans have ceased to consider important. Eventually, you will tire of me. Maybe you should let me decide that. He had mentioned the leaves on the carpet once before. Did Ethel tire of you? His human face melted back into plants, as if that could hide his expression. I'm not Ethel, I said. A small smile played across his lips. I know. That's what I like about you. He leaned down to kiss me, his lips soft and yielding. He tasted like pine and maple. And best of all, there were no splinters. Hello everyone, this is Tony C. Smith, the host of Starship Sofa. I just want to tell you, I've been working on a new podcast. Yes, kind of keep the, kind of keep the fella down. I'll tell you where it comes from. It is called Your Remarkable Adventure. And it's basically just an interview podcast where I interview people who've been on a remarkable adventure, who've done a journey, who's crossed the desert, cycled the world, anything like that. You know, the, I'm a little bit, well, well, I am, I'm kind of, and I mentioned on the show as well, the first show is out, just if you wanted to know, the first show is out there, Your Remarkable Adventure. But I'm a, a total armchair adventurer, do you know what I mean? That's the, that's, I'm quite safe, quite happy, sitting in my armchair, watching them on telly. And I, don't get us wrong, I did the, you know, the Roman Wall, we walked the Roman Wall, my son and myself last year, but certainly nothing, you know, I'm, I am a bit of a home bird when it comes to, like, the, the big adventures, you know. But I watched a programme on the telly called, your, I think it's called Extreme Mountain Challenge. Over here in the UK, we've got a, like, a UK adventurer called Steve Baxchel. And he used to be like a children's program TV presenter, but you know, like an adventure one, you know, picking up snakes and a little bit like Steve Irwin, do you know, from Australia? A little bit like that. <clears throat> well, he, a couple of weeks ago, no, about, probably about two months ago there now, it was on the television, it was a two part program called Extreme Man- Mountain Challenge, where they went to Venezuela, those Tapui Mountains, you know, the ones that are kind of straight up, they just look like from Jurassic World, you know, those kind of eerie looking mountains. And the idea was to go, to walk to one of them, to climb up it. It would take them five days to climb up it. You know, they would sleep on the ledge and then they would go on the top and look for strange new exotic animals and everything. And then they would scoot in inside and go like cave holing. And, well, it was just, I love, you know what I mean? That, anyways, is what I love. Do you know what I mean? I, love, I could just sit and watch that anyways. But this programme was a little bit different to the kind of the David Attenboroughs. It was basically, you know... Handheld cameras. I had cameramen. I had a full kind of expedition team, but it was more like I say, a real life. You know, it wasn't really, you know, things weren't cut out, and it was man. It showed a different side of it. You know what I mean? It was kind of dangerous. You know, like they were getting up this cliff, this side of this cliff, and yeah, from a distance it didn't look big, but trust us, it took them five days. Oh, that's what they give themselves five days to get up. And I think after three, they were still nowhere near. Do you know what I mean? They were sleeping on ledges, like a two foot wide, sleeping on them on the night time, full of scorpions and biting spiders and everything. 
And then the rains would come, the storms would come, and they were blowing the bits. And it was just like, wow, man. There was like, at one point, Steve Baxter took the camera to the cameraman, you know, and the cameraman had been up Everest. He'd been everywhere. He's been doing this game for like how many years? There was tears in his eyes. He was shaking. Do you know what I mean? There was like a storm going on. They were on. They had no support. They were just kind of on this like terrible little ledge. And, you know, this lad was crying. Do you know what I mean? He's wiping tears, you know, fearing for his life. And... There was another bit where the two kind of... Because Steve Baxter said he's not a climber. He just kind of... He'll follow up. But there's two, like, main climbers. Well, rocks fell down. One hit one in the mouth. There was blood everywhere. And they just give it up. You know, they couldn't attempt this. And I was like, wow, man, that's like... I was on the edge of my seat. And then they actually, you know, they, they had to come down because it was just far too dangerous. And you've seen all the kind of... The misery and the unhappiness of, like, failing. Do you know what Then the, the kind of helicopter came and took them onto the top of a Tapui mountain and then they went pothole and, and then they were just going and that mind god fear for me they were just scrabbling through like underground you know these caves and it was just and they were the talking where they were getting led by an italian explorer who hoped when they were going down these things that this trail that they were following underground would meet up with because they were going off on this totally different new brand new trail underground and the Italian explorer was hoping it would meet up with where he thought it was if not you know that they really couldn't they couldn't go back you know it was that tight oh man and the whole two programs was fascinating I thought you know what it would be lovely to interview those type of people and when I interviewed, if you remember a few weeks ago, I, I interviewed Jill Hynerth, who was, you know, a cave explorer, explorer with the, with deep, like, diving, you know, and it was talking to Jill and that. And I thought, you know what I mean? I'm missing out on so much because just for me to enjoy it, you know, like, enjoy a conversation, ask, like, the kind of, the childlike questions, you know what I mean? What's it like? You know what I mean? The wonder. And it's from those two seeds where I thought, do you know what? And then I realised, you know, because I thought, I'm going to follow Steve Baxchel on on Twitter. Do you know what I mean? I don't follow many people because I use it for, you know, kind of the show, you know, research of the show. And then I realised, you know, people who are following Steve Baxchel were like explorers themselves, just but just everyday people. And it's just like, wow, man. I've honestly had no idea. Do you know what I mean? I knew, I knew yeah, obviously, there was like explorers, but I always thought there was like, There'd be a camera team latch them and everything. But there's people out there just doing remarkable things. I'm interviewing a gentleman tomorrow who, in a, a bet one night in a pub, decided, you know, he's going to cycle around the six continents of the world. Six years later, he's just getting back in February. Do you know what I mean? I'm interviewing, hopefully it's going to come off. A gentleman called Charlie Head, who apparently is going to paddleboard across the Atlantic. Do you know what I mean? I've interviewed the first show today is Laura Bingham, who was cycling from Ecuador all the way down to Buenos Aires, Argentina, capital of Argentina, right down to South America. It's just like with, <laughs> I get excited here, on a bike by yourself with no money. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, the people out there, I've interviewed, and that little bell there that you just heard on my phone, that's a gentleman who's just getting to it. I hope he's sending some pictures. It's called Russell Smith. Now, Russell... <laughs> Russell's scooted 
from Land's End to John O'Groat on a fucking scooter. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, you're kidding us, man. Do you know when these people just get up and do these wacky things? I've interviewed a, a gentleman called Sam Furman, who one day stood up and hitchhiked from Norfolk in the UK to China. <laughs> you know what I mean? The furthest I get is walking the dogs along the cliff, and that's a mile and a half, and I get dizzy after that. Do you know what I mean? So that's the kind of whole ethos of doing that show. So I hope you will join us. Like the first, see, the first one is out there now. Laura Bingham, who's cycling, you know, and I don't know if anyone kind of knows Laura Bingham, but Laura is, and I don't know if anyone knows Ed Stafford. Ed Stafford's a TV presenter over here in the UK. Laura, Ed and Laura are a partnership there, and hopefully they're going to get married, which I found out on the interview as well. So have a have a listen. You know, pop up. I'll put a link in this kind of show post there. You can find it anywhere. You know, what I mean? just yourremarkableadventure.com. You can go there as well. Like I see, I've got a few. I'm speaking to a, a gentleman. I have spoken to a gentleman there. Should have put my phone on silent. Who's what a UK an England Olympic hopeful as well and climbed you know the the Apple Mac El Capitan picture on an Apple Mac climbed that solo and he's blind do you know what I mean it's just like there's people out there man wow so hopefully you will have a little listen to that you can find us in iTunes under Your Remarkable Adventure or search in the travel section there. And if you're, you know, if you're an Android like myself, just whatever app you've got, just search in for Your Remarkable Adventure. Pop over the website as well because with these people doing all these kind of wacky, crazy things, there's some great photographs as well, which I'm getting lots of photographs. So come over there and you can see all the photographs. So hopefully you will join me on your remarkable adventure. Dear listeners, the new offering from Tony C. Smith. Once again, he's come up with an amazing concept, which he's doing with his own particular flair and style. Go on, check it out. You'll love it. One last thing before we go. Nominations are open for the 2016 Parsec Awards, and the Triple F is eligible for the category of Best Speculative Fiction Story, Small Cast, Short Form. If you have a favourite story from the past year, please feel free to nominate it. The author and narrator appreciate the recognition, and so does the staff here at Triple F. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but don't change it and don't sell it. And be sure to give credit where credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors. Violators will be mulched. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. May your week be as fantastic as you imagine. Bye now.
This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.